You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, host, back with another episode in Nichols Hills today, uh, just around the corner from the golf course. I used to work at the golf course, so this is very familiar territory to me. Uh, love this part of Oklahoma, and the golf course is, well, it's incredible right now. If anyone gets a chance to play Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, they definitely should, or if they know anybody that's a member, you need to text them and call them and tell them to take you out there, because greens are pretty good at the moment. But... It's enough golf. I, you know, I could talk about golf forever, but you're not listening to this to talk about me. Talk, listen to me talk about golf. You're here to listen to our guest. And our guest today is former first lady, Kathy Keating. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home. Thank you so much for coming into our home. It's uh, And inviting it, me into your world. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going through my notes this morning and doing a little bit, a bit of research and, and I don't think an hour is enough time to talk about everything that you've done, but we'll try our best. Uh, the you know it, it's this one will probably go out after the holiday season, but it, you know it is we are in December. It's Christmas season. I'm sure you've been busy decorating the house, and grandkids are going to be coming over for Christmas. So it's a busy time for you. So I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your morning to sit with us and share some stories. Uh, I'm just tickled to death to be here, and thank you for taking the time. Uh, to be here with us. Yeah. So I guess starting off, I mean, you you were inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame in 2011. I think you are on the board currently. I guess we'll start with, I mean, you know, that day and, and what it's like being, you know, being uh, inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Do you know, um, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame is a very, very unique organization. And there are very few states uh, across the country that recognize people in their states who have been change makers or trailblazers or community volunteers uh, making a difference. And I don't think there is another state like Oklahoma that does it quite as significantly as we do. From the little research I've done, it really is a very unique organization and it is an honor of a lifetime. I just can't emphasize enough what um uh, I mean, it's just an honor beyond words. When I got the phone call uh, from Jane Gamble, my good friend Jane Gamble, that uh, I was uh, being asked to go into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, it was something I never expected. Uh, I mean, I never even hoped for it because I just thought, you know, everybody else was so much more deserving. And Frank was in the Hall of Fame, and it was such a, a glorious moment uh, for me as well to watch his achievements be recognized. And, but these are people in Oklahoma, myself excluded, who have built businesses, uh, built up a community, done something significant as a trailblazer. You know, I think Shannon Lucid was the first person in, first woman in space. Reva McIntyre was the first triple threat. I mean, that she was a movie star, 
a Broadway uh, a Broadway star uh, in Annie Annie Get Your Gun. She had uh, multiple Grammys. I think more at the time more Grammys than any other woman. And you know she's from a little rural community in Oklahoma. So the bottom line is you can do anything, be anybody that you want to do if you work hard mm-hmm. and you stick with it. And these are the people who have. So great yeah. honor. Who introduced you that day? Well, it was really funny. We were living in Virginia at the time, and our neighbor down the street was Sam Donaldson, who was an ABC news anchor, very, very uh, well-known at the time. And several people said to me, why would you have Sam He's liberal. You know, you're conservative. And I said, how do you know he's liberal? And they went, well, because he's a news anchor. He's on the air. And I said, hmm. He's a great guy. And we became great friends. And as a journalist, he was an independent thinker. And I, quite truthfully, I don't even know what his politics are. But it didn't matter. And he was fabulous. He went to the rehearsal, and of course, he didn't need to rehearse. He did this every day of his life. And uh, But he was such a good sport, and um, ad-libbed everything, and it was fun. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was just, it was a great moment. Yeah. Well, and also more recently, just last year, you had the great, you know, um, privilege, I guess, of, of inducting a friend of yours. I did, and that was an honor of a lifetime as well. Paula Marshall is uh, somebody I did not know growing up, even though we both grew up in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. But her story was remarkable, how she had actually been the last person her father wanted to turn Bama companies over to. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that not only took it over in the end, because her brothers didn't want to do it. She has... She's just soared with it and won all kinds of national, international awards. She's built the company. It's all over the world. And we beca- we became really good friends when Frank was elected governor. Yeah. Yeah, that's what she said. We She was on the podcast uh, at the start of the year, I believe, or maybe at the end of last year. And she told some great stories about you two becoming oh. friends and thick as thieves, having a great time. And I know you guys had a great time that night, too, because uh, I remember seeing Paula... Um, I think at the Mayo coming in to the to the bar at the Mayo and she's just got this massive smile on her face you know that all the, all the work has been done right you've gone through the ceremony and she's just ready to have a blast so well you know if you can't have fun in life exactly um, you know life's awfully short mm-hmm. and we had fun I told her when we were doing the dress rehearsal earlier in the day I s- said Paula I followed what I was told to do I was given you know, two minutes to introduce you, 160 words, whatever it was. And I mean, I did it to the exact word count. Yeah. And and I don't like to read from a script, but because it was on a really tight time frame, I did. And we got, you know, we got there. No one else followed the rules. And I said to Paula, do you want me to change? She said, nope. She said, we'll just wing it and we'll go with it. And yeah. we did. She, we, we giggled and laughed. And anyway, she's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Well-deserving I'm, as well. Oh, yeah. And I know she loves her golf, too, and her tennis. She's a great golfer yeah. and a great tennis player. She's an athlete. Yeah, she is, for sure. And it's an incredible story. And, and for people listening who haven't heard that interview or haven't heard her story, it's worth checking out. And I can link it below, but just search on Google Paula Marshall and you'll find some incredible things. So. And you'll be inspired. I totally agree. You know, it's, um, she was somebody who broke the glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. She, when she, I think when she was, when she became president, she was only one of three women heads of corporations in America. Yeah. You think back, this, times have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you, you mentioned, you know, you, you grew up in Tulsa. What was kind of life like for you when you were young growing up? What were your aspirations and and what did your parents do? Did they influence anything that you wanted to do as a career? Well, I think my mother probably was my strongest uh, influence because she just taught me to believe in myself, to dream big, aim high, and not be afraid to fail. You know, she said, everybody's going to fall down and you just have to get back up and keep going. And that's... If you can get pick yourself back up and keep going, she said, you haven't really failed. And so I kind of grew up with 
that mentality. She'd let me try anything and everything. I started sewing at an early age. My mom couldn't even thread a needle. And I started designing clothes for my uh, paper dolls and then my dolls. And then I started making things. And um, I'm very creative. A lot of people don't know that. But uh, in seventh grade, I decided I was going to make all my own clothes. And that's kind of a crazy time in your life. And um, mother took me to Anthony's to buy my fabric. And I bought, uh, it was a lime green plaid, a hot pink polka dot, and an orange stripe. And one became the skirt, the other became the top, and the other became the belt. And I put them together. And mother said, Kathy, that doesn't match. <laughs> no one was doing that. It's just seventh grade. Yeah. And, and I said, oh, no, it's great. I put it on, wore it to school, never thought another thing of it. Mother said, she, when I walked out the door, she went, holy moly, they're going to make fun of her all day long. They probably did, but I didn't notice. Yeah. So from a young age, then you kind of had a passion for making clothing and a, and a kind of the fashion side of things. And I always, did. you didn't seem shy to be different and, and put your expressions and your personality into your clothing and, and wear that with, with kind of you know, confidence. No, I didn't. Yeah. And then that grew into, you know, my home and uh, kind of the way I approach life mm-hmm. is uh, it's, it's good to be different. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I, I mean, in, in a world, you know, in today's world, I think it's great to be different, right? You've got to stand out somehow. And whether that's in your job to stand out to get a raise or whether that's, you know, to to just excel and, and stand out, even if you want to go find a wife or a husband, right? Like you've got to, you've got to stand out somehow. So yeah, I think Mother said when I was uh, in high school, you know, you have to decide whether you want to be a Volkswagen or a Stingray. You know, and those were two really popular cars, but one was cheap and affordable, and the other was mega expensive and desirable. Yes, turned, and, turned heads. And uh, yeah. and I always, you know, I always, I actually always loved both. But um, I, I just think it's great for young people, especially, especially in today's world, mm-hmm. because these, you know, not only kids, but we all like to get into silos. And think the same and do the same. And uh, and I, I like to step outside the silo. Yeah. So during this time growing up in Tulsa, then, do you like do you carry your passion for creativity into something that you want to do in school and your career? Well, I did initially. I went to the University of Oklahoma and started uh, in color and design. I really, really thought I wanted to be a fashion mm-hmm. uh, designer. And... Um, probably chose the wrong school to do that at the time. I also wanted to be a surgical nurse. I have great dexterity with my fingers from sewing, quite truthfully. And I thought, you know, I'd be great for uh, being a surgical nurse. And mother wouldn't let me, uh, my mom and and dad wouldn't let me go into nursing at OU because the uh, medical school was in Oklahoma City. And I was on campus in Norman. And it just didn't work to do both of those. He said, you'll have to move home. And I went, oh, no, I don't want to move home. So I became an educator. And I've used that throughout my life as well. Yeah, that's, uh, it's amazing when you look back and think where, where life could have gone if I, if I did go to Oklahoma City to become a surgical nurse and where you would have ended up, right? It, well, you don't know. Yeah. So, so but, but you... Going into education, I mean, you have to have a passion to be a teacher as well. That's not just something you can say, oh, I'll just become a teacher. Like, you clearly had that passion as well for, you know, the the service side of things of being able to mold young minds and teach. I love children. Yeah. And uh, uh, that really served me well when, when Frank was governor and I was first lady because I made the commitment that I wanted to visit 52 schools per year. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't go one a week. Because, you know, they're not always in school. But I would go visit uh, 52 schools every year. And from kindergartner uh, children all the way through high school. And um, and I would talk about growing up and what do you want to be in life. And, you know, setting your aims high and your dreams big. And 
And then what you have to do to make that happen, because a lot of people, a lot of kids back then, especially elementary school kids, would say, I want to be Michael Jordan. You know, I want to be the number one basketball player and I want to have all these business and I want to be a zillionaire, et cetera. And I said, well, what did he have to do there? And then you start telling his backstory. And his backstory was one that he had trouble in school and it was a teacher who actually saved him so that he could get into college and play college ball and have the opportunity to go on to be a pro basketball player. So... Um, that was really, really fun. So I put those teaching skills uh, to work. Yeah. You obviously mentioned, you know, your husband, Frank. How did you guys meet? Do you remember? Blind date. Was it a blind date? It was. Wow. My best friend from yeah. college and I, um, I had introduced her to her husband the first day of school at OU. Mm-hmm. And they were married between their first and second semester of their sophomore year. And I cried at her wedding and said, I just can't believe you're doing this and you're going to miss out on all the fun and you're too young to get married. And she, she, they were married 55 years before he passed away. Oh, wow. But she said, I'm only going to ask you one time to reciprocate and I'm going to ask you to go on a blind date. And it was Frank. Wow. And we were married seven months later, and we just celebrated 50 years. Yeah. Well, what did she tell you about Frank? When you, Did she tell you anything? She didn't know him. <laughs> Her husband worked for him. Uh, he had just moved back to Oklahoma yeah. and was an assistant DA, and her husband, Brad, was a clerk. Okay. And went up to Frank and said, are you married? He said, no. He said, I'd like to introduce you to somebody. Mm-hmm. He didn't know him either. And when Frank called me, uh, we, you know, he said, I'm Frank Keating. And I was living at home because I had just graduated from college. Frank and I are about seven years uh, difference in age. And he said, uh, tell me about yourself. Anyway, I started telling about myself, which took maybe 15 seconds. Because I, you know, I, I just graduated from college. And Frank said, well, I went to Kesha Hall and Tulsa, and I'm thinking, well, I knew somebody at Kesha Hall, but I went to Edison, mm-hmm. which Kesha was a Catholic private school. Edison was a public school. Okay. And he started going through all these different things. And finally, I said, how old are you anyway? <laughs> and he said, I'm 28. And I said, I don't think my mother will let me go out with you. Yeah. So that's how we met. That's brilliant. And then that just went on a first date and... Well, it took more than a first well, date. Yeah. He asked me to marry him on the third date. Yeah. But I didn't accept. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you guys go on that first date? Um, we went to dinner, and I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was on the rooftop of a like a seven-story building. And then yeah. we went to a friend of his was having a party at their house. Well, all, all his friends were eight years older, and... You know, and I was thinking, I don't know one person here. And they all had kids. They, it was just a different world. Yeah, It's amazing that we really ended up getting married because right. that age gap was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. When I just graduated from college, he'd lived, he'd graduated from college, law school. He'd been in the FBI yeah. and was an assistant DA. He'd lived in Washington, San Francisco, and Seattle. And so... But, you know, it's worked. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. What, what, what did your parents say about it? What did your mom say? Well, he, my parents knew his, his parents. Oh, yeah. My grandparents worked with his father in the oil business. Okay. They, did, they did some oil dealings. Yeah. So they knew who he was. And, uh, yeah. and they, you know, the high respect and a high regard for the families. That really helped your, your, on your side then, obviously. It did, because Mother probably wouldn't let me go out otherwise. <laughs> right. She probably thought he was a dirty old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, because, you know, seven years, seven years, you know, and today you're just like, it, you know, he's like, oh, it's seven years. But at that age, right, when you're just graduating college, like I'm dating someone who's almost 30 years old, you know, that kind of, that's a different conversation. Isn't it? Yeah, and really the truth is, I think there is more of an adjustment for him mm. With my youth and inexperience, as Ronald Reagan used to say, once said, yeah. then with Frank, because he, he'd traveled, he'd lived independently, he'd had, you know, uh, one full career before he even met me. Yeah. 
So, so at this time then, you know, like I said, you, you know, seven months later, you guys get married and you kind of start your life together. Do you, are, you, are you still teaching at that time? Is the plan to stay in Oklahoma and teach or what do you, you know, what, well, what are Well, I had just graduated from college. Yeah. So I'd applied to uh, teach in Norman. Okay. But I graduated after my student teaching in March and I lived in a sorority and they said, well, you can't live here anymore. You graduated. So I had to move home. You know, the times were just totally different. Yeah. Girls would never have rented an apartment and lived by themselves at, at that time. And so I moved home, had been, um, I'd gotten a job in Norman uh, to start in the fall. Well, Frank and I were getting married in November. He lived in Tulsa. He was running for the state legislature. So I had to turn that job down. And he said, why don't you wait a year before you start teaching and you can go back and forth with me to Oklahoma City if I'm elected. And if not, you can substitute teach. Well, I got pregnant three months, two and a half months after we were married yeah. and was sicker than sick. Oh, wow. And so there was no way I could substitute teach. And Carrie was born in October and we were poor as church mice. And it just didn't seem to matter. I So I never actually taught as a paid teacher. Now, I was an unpaid substitute in our uh, son's class in, in McLean, off and on for three years. Yeah. And I did lots of stuff in the classroom uh, to put my teaching skills to, uh, to use. But, yeah. but I did other things. I've worked the whole time we were married. Yeah. But just not in a schoolroom, in a more, uh, you know, non-classical role. I, sure. We bought old houses, and I'd take the kids over there, and we'd start renovating them, and then we'd sell them for a profit. And mm-hmm. that was my job, because I could do that with the kids. Yeah. Well, and then you're back to your creative side, right? That, you know, renovating a house is, you've got to be extremely creative to be able to tackle that, to you know, and go through that, and especially on your own and deal with that stuff with the kids and everything. Like, that's, that's a fun tru- project. And the truth is, Frank and I knew nothing about mm. doing that. And uh, Mother gave us, gave Frank for Christmas, the New York Times uh, book on how to fix everything. Yeah. So... You know, he learned how to put disposals in and wire light fixtures. And and every house other than the governor's mansion, we had done most of the major, well, not the major, major, but, you know, the light fixtures, the painting, uh, the minor plumbing. We did all of that ourselves. Yeah. So we couldn't afford to hire anybody. <laughs> yeah, that too, right? So, so that this is all going on, and and Frank's career is is growing, taking off. He's running, and he, you know, he's doing his thing. And then obviously, you're raising the kids and flipping houses at the same time. The, the, there comes a time then where you guys have to travel a bit, right? Because his career is takes you away from from home. I assume. Well, we uh, we moved to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. in nineteen, uh, the end of nineteen eighty five. He took a job in Washington, and uh, buying houses and fixing them up there wasn't mm. feasible. I mean, the housing market's very expensive. Yeah. And um, so I joined a partnership with two other women. We came in collectively, and we only did one house before one of them moved away, and then we dissolved our partnership, and I went to work. And then when we moved back to Oklahoma, Frank was running, decided to run for governor. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I worked for New um, U.S. News and World Report, uh, helping them with their speaker bureau long distance, because that's what I had done for five years in Washington after my uh, partnership to redo houses was dissolved. Yeah. Well, I've never heard of that job. What does that What does that do? What What does that entail as a job? For, I mean, to do it for five years, you're obviously it's a career, and you do a lot of did, took a lot of your time to do it. What does that? Oh, what's it was the a full time. It was a full time job in yeah. the office, uh-huh. and uh, I worked for a lecture agency called okay. the National Speakers Forum, and the U.S. News uh, and World Report was one of our clients mm-hmm. that uh, fell and I was a salesperson, okay. but this was before yeah. computers where you could cheat, you know, that you could call up somebody. Yeah. I'd have to bring home, uh, videotapes and watch videotapes. I'd have to read books and be read bios. And then I'd have to remember them. And when I would call on clients, I'd have to suggest appropriate speakers, mm-hmm. uh, mostly business speakers for them. And 
Um, so when I moved back to Oklahoma, um, U.S. News and World Report asked if I would come do that, help okay. establish their Speakers Bureau, which I did for one year. Yeah. And then Frank was elected governor, and yeah. we moved to Oklahoma City, and I didn't do that anymore. So what, what, how does that conversation go when Frank says, you know what, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for governor. And, and that's, you know, it's not just a, a personal thing. Like that is a whole, that's a family thing, right? Like you're all in on that as a family. How, what's that conversation? And what, when did he come to you and say, I think we should do this? Or did you go to him and say, I think you should? Oh, no, I did not go to no. him. And, <laughs> you know, he had run for the state house while we were um, dating mm-hmm. and was elected. And then the state Senate, and it was kind of a family affair, and then he ran for Congress, and and so I was used to, uh, if he wanted to do that, I was always very supportive of whatever career change uh, he made, even though it affected us as a family. But running for governor was a different deal. We were living in Washington, he was working for Bush, and for three years he had said, well, actually four years, I want to go back home. I want to go back home. And... um, and he said, I, w- I want to go back home and make a difference. And so it shouldn't have come as a surprise that he wanted to go back home and run for governor, but we'd never had that discussion. And after Bush lost, uh, he, he joined forces with a law firm. And after he'd been there a week, he came home and he said, I really want to move home and run for governor. And I said, you, do, you want to do what? <laughs> and he said, yes. And so we would walk every night. And so we were walking, and I said, why? He said, Kathy, I I go to the office, and there's a door with my name on it, and the name plate is removable. So if I move out, somebody else moves in. You know, I'm not making a difference in anybody's life, really. You know, maybe for the moment, but not long term. I drove through North Carolina, South Carolina in college when those— States were poor and the lights were off at five o'clock. There was no industry there. And then when we moved up here and we would go down those states, the lights were all on and those states were booming. And so he had started doing some research as to what had transformed North Carolina and South Carolina. And he wanted to bring that to Oklahoma because we're the 46th state. We're, you know, we're a relatively poor state in the scheme of things. And um, so it was all about making some policy changes yeah. that would bring industry into our state and help our state thrive and grow. And um, so I said, well, okay, can you win? He said, no, you know how that works. He said, you know, it's an election. I've been gone. And I said, well, I'm not going to move all three of our children and go home if you can't win. Yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. And then a couple of weeks later, he'd asked the same thing. Well, after four months, he said one night, I can win. I said, okay, I'll move. And I contend that the election was won. He hadn't even, you know, he wasn't even in the race. Won that night because in his mind, he knew he was in it to win it. Yeah, no doubt. You know, it's like an athlete. Yeah. You have to be in it to win it. And the truth is, it didn't matter to me whether he won or lost. I just wanted him to be committed, mm-hmm. and yeah. he was. Were the kids thrilled to move back to Oklahoma? No. No, they didn't want to leave? <laughs> no, their best friends were in Oklahoma. We'd stayed yeah. really tight and in close contact with them. We have a lot of family, but Carrie was at the University of Virginia as a freshman and had chosen to go there to be close to us. Mm-hmm. Kelly was going to be a senior in high school. It is hard to move your senior year. Yeah. Chip had been in a new school because in the Washington, all the elementary schools merged into one middle school. Mm. So like four schools moved into one big school in seventh grade. And so we moved him in eighth grade, which was a K through eighth grade school. And so he had to go to a new school and he would have to go to a new school in ninth grade. As it turned out, he had to go to two new schools in ninth grade. So it was hard. Yeah. It wasn't because they didn't love Oklahoma. It was, you you know, kids are at the me stage. It's all about me. Yeah. And it was hard. Yeah. And they'll tell you it was hard. Well, yeah, because, and and it's, you know, they're, like I said, they're at at a very kind of 
you know, they're at a time where they remember a lot of things. Obviously, they're old enough, they're young adults. But at the same time, like, they've built all their relationships. They're in their routines. They know, you know, they're planning their lives. And then you're like, actually, by the way, let's let's go back home. You know, well, and, you know, when you go as a senior, even though Kelly had grown up with several people, um, we had to put her in a private school, put her where Frank went, because we were on a four-point system academically in Virginia. They had the governor's uh, honor roll, which if you took all the AP classes, et cetera, you got a governor's certificate, but you didn't get extra points. Okay. And Tulsa, the public schools were on a five-point system. So she was in the bottom 50% of her class uh, applying to college. We couldn't do that. Yeah. Because well, no fault of her own, right? Uh, and you know. No, and her all, friends were all at Edison, yeah. where I went to school. And so she had to go to a really small private school, and those kids had all grown up together, and they were all tight. She was odd man out all year. It was a yeah. hard year for her. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you know, little did you guys know, um, you know, the—sorry, camera issues. There we go. You know, well, little did you guys know that you were going to be, you know, yourself and the family, and, and Frank's going to be in office during the most— pivotal time in Oklahoma history, you know, no. and you don't know that, but you know, he, he runs in 93 and then wins by a landslide, you know, and, and obviously, like you said, he put his mind to it and he's going to do this. And then two years later, the, the entire state, the world is rocked. Right. We had, uh, he was sworn in in 95. We moved mm. back in 93 and he was running for office the whole time. And, um, and so we moved in the governor's mansion in January of 95 and, April 19th of 95 is when the bombing happened. And um, it was probably the most transformational experience in both of our lives. You know, you, you, you park your family experiences. Those are in a category all of their own. Mm-hmm. But um, it changed the state. It changed the country. It changed the world. You know, we were vulnerable in a way that no one had seen us. I've seen America being vulnerable before. Mm. But it changed us in ways that it's hard to put words at how it changed us. Yeah. Uh, and, and you go through that time, you know, and, and, and help out and deal with it incredibly well, you know, and there's multiple awards that you've had from that. You and Frank have had awards for it. We have this fantastic museum. We have now what everyone calls the Oklahoma standard. You know, we have this incredible response to what happened that, you know, kind of is still being affected today, you know, by that, you know, the ripple effects of that thing that happened, whereas the bounce back and, and you know, the pick, pick yourself up and kind of take Oklahoma into the future, you know, we still see that today. It's not done, you know, and, and you're seeing people, you're seeing the effects and it's incredible when you look back, but obviously, you know, it's such a tragic thing that happened and to go through that and be in front of the cameras the whole time and, you know, the family and Frank, you're, you're, look, everyone in the world is looking at you for a response and, and leadership. You know, it's do, not do easy. You know, Mike, it's so interesting. Um, I can't compare it to another state because I've not mm-hmm. done this in another state. But there's something really special about the people of Oklahoma. And uh, we've gone through. I'm not uh, an historian, so but it's just my personal feeling. We've been through the the booms and the busts. So many people were forced to come here, or they came here with all their hopes and dreams in their pockets, with because they had nothing else, and they built communities and they helped each other, mm-hmm. and we lived the code of the West. Really, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Your you know your honor is in your handshake. Um, all those things that make uh, a state, a country great. And we're made of that. That's our constitution in Oklahoma. And because of that, when the bombing happened, that's what we saw. That's what the world saw. That's what we experienced. So if there was anything that was um, easy about responding to the bombing, and easy is probably not the right word, we had... Everybody did everything right. Mm-hmm. They, you know, people stepped forward, giving all their resources, their whatever treasure they had, emptying out, you know, um, their pocketbooks to help put water down there, food down there, volunteering, um, setting up 
you know, free stations for cell phones. The companies came forward and, you know, they said for United Way that fall that they really were worried that they wouldn't make their goals because everybody had already emptied out everything, emptied out everything to help uh, the Oklahoma City victims of the bombing. Mm -hmm. And it was the biggest year they ever had because people continued to give. That's what Frank and I walked into. We weren't from Oklahoma City. We We were from Tulsa. We didn't know a lot of people here. And that was our experience. And in a large part, that's why we moved back to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Is not that we didn't love Tulsa, because we do. Right. Yeah. And that's for all our, you know, our it's hometown Tulsa's friends. Home. Yeah. It's home. Mm-hmm. But there's a special place about uh, Oklahoma City. The people are just extraordinary. Yeah. It's... Yeah, because like you said, you you know you see all those relations, you see all those 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 conversations, those relationships, those people who are coming from all over to give you, you know, anything. And I I did I did an interview with um, Ed Aishan from Aishans in Okachi. I uh, and he told me about that day, and he's like, yeah, we were just we just cooked as many chickens as we could mm-hmm. cook, and we were just taking, you know, and just even from Okachi, you know, and I know it's not that far away. Oh no no, but no. it's far enough. Do you, you know? know? But Mike, to your point. The restaurant industry, uh, they all came forward and they cooked for all the uh, rescue workers and the FEMA teams that came in. Um, The floral industry, when I put on the prayer service, that was, the bombing happened on a Wednesday. The prayer service was on a Sunday morning. The floral industry in Oklahoma had come together and they put together all the plants and flowers for the service and then gave hundreds and hundreds of roses for us to hand out to the families um, who were either victims. You know, they've lost somebody. At that point, we didn't really know who wasn't going to be um, pulled out of the building because yeah. we went from rescue to recovery that day, uh, that afternoon. They gave us hundreds of thousands of roses that we'd hand out at night when the rescue workers were coming off mm-hmm. their service. It was the whole state. The whole country helped us. Yeah. You know, the Philharmonic had to get all the rights to the music. The copyrights waived. That yeah. never happens. It probably hasn't happened since, right? And, <laughs> and it was all waived. So yeah. everybody volunteered. It didn't cost anything to put on that memorial service. And CNN in their feed the next morning said, uh, put the microphone in, in my face and said, well, how does it feel that you just... Um, put on the most widely watched television programming in the history of television. Yeah. And I went, what? And it had aired worldwide. Of course, yeah. we were really just doing it for the families and victims yeah. of the, you know, the bombing. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was an extraordinary experience of people, you know, reaching out and being kind and generous and loving to help all those families and victims who had been affected so yeah. terribly. And that still exists. Mm-hmm. They're still doing that. And, uh, you know, I don't know that those families and victims will ever recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a friend of mine from college, his, his mom passed. His mom was in, in the building. And he, you know, I, I, I was, he, uh, he asked me, um, he said, I'd like to do a podcast. I didn't ask him. I just, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to go and ask him, but he's like, I'd love to do one. Do you, you know, would you interview me? I said, yeah, of course, you know? And, and even in that he's, cause his, he was five or six, I think when it happened, but his old, his older sister was 10 or 11 and they see it totally different, right? Because he was—he doesn't remember much about it, but his sister remembers everything. Right. And he said in the point, he said in the interview, he's like, well, "She doesn't. She won't talk about it, you know." Whereas he—he he, you know remembers his mom a little bit, whereas she really remembers her mother because she was old enough to have those experiences. And it's—it's it's heartbreaking. It's awful, you know, when you go down there and you see those those little kids. Oh yeah. So, but the you know. To, to the point of seeing the state and the world rally around you and, and this this community. And, and then that gives you, you know, it gives you a whole new reason and perspective to go on and honor those people in every way of your life. You know, like when you look at your, of the things that, that you, Frank, and everyone else has done since that day, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, and, and 
even though you, the things you have done might have been a different, you know, you're on a board somewhere that might not directly affect the people mm-hmm. from who were affected during that day, because you've gone through that and you see what good can do in the world, you are now, you know, just spreading good in other ways, right? It makes you such a much better person and so much more grateful for everything you have that you have to go and That's give to exactly others. That's exactly right. It's uh, an attitude of gratitude. And uh, it's certainly, we were always grateful but the depth yeah. of gratitude changed. You know, every day is a gift. Mm-hmm. Every person is precious. Uh, and, uh, and we have an obligation to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And we felt it stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you're right. To that, to that point, you know, like, just taking that into the future and, and then seeing the city grow. And, you know, back to what you said earlier, not you could have easily moved back to Tulsa and gone home. Right. But staying here because you're a real connection to, to this community, this city, you know, having your house here, you're raising your kids, all of that. And, and then going on to after, you know, you know, after the, the, the two terms as, as being first lady, you go into all of the other stuff, too. Right. You're on multiple boards. You're doing so many other things. So tell, tell know, me about I, that stuff, because that's fun. You it know? is fun. And um, the truth is, it was after the bombing mm. that. I was trying to figure out what my project was going to be. You know, every first lady is supposed to have one project. Sure. And what my project was going to be. And um, I always said, you know, I, I just have so many different interests. It's hard for me to focus on just one thing. Yeah. But I did come up with the idea that after the bombing, I wanted to make a difference in a multiple uh, in multiple areas across mm-hmm. the state. Many of those areas I've carried on. But I got involved in the National Trust, the Historic National Trust, and because I felt like our main streets in Oklahoma were so critical to the livelihood of a community. Mm-hmm. And if a main street can thrive with business, then people will stay, possibly will stay in the community and raise their children and and, yeah. and help that community continue to thrive and grow. And then... Um, and I wrote a, published a book on the Governor's Mansions of America. And that just opens different doors, you know, when you start getting to do those fun, creative things, right. to do other things. And because of that, after Frank was governor, and there, there were other things that I did that I loved, mm-hmm. um, that I really loved. But after, um, after Frank was governor, um, Bob Funk asked me to come meet with him. Mm-hmm. And he was the co-founder of Express Employment Professionals. And and I went to meet with him and the then president of the company. And he's, they started asking me all these questions. And finally, he said, we'd like you to join our board of directors. And I said, I don't know anything about the employment business and he said, that's why we want you to join. It's because you think outside the box and you're creative and um, and you'll be the first woman on the board. And I laughed and I said, are you just asking me because you need a token woman? <laughs> and Bob laughed and said, no, if we need a token woman, we wouldn't ask you. But anyway, after the first two board meetings, I recognized that they didn't have a structured source of giving for the company. And at the time, they were a $1.8 billion company, and I felt there was corporate responsibility. So I asked the question in the board meeting, and Bob tasked me with the time of looking into where the company had given money and and then to make recommendations. Long story short, I proposed that we start a a philanthropy uh, part of the committee. We're not a 501c3 foundation because you're limited. And, and it's a corporation and there's growth that you might want to change from time to time where your focus is. And they passed it. Bob said, I'd like you to chair it. So for 17 years, I chaired the philanthropy of uh, Express Employment Professionals, uh, gave them my exit papers when I turned 70, said it's time to turn this over to somebody younger. Yeah. And, but I was able to do it from Washington, D.C., but I was home here a lot. We ended up buying a condominium because I worked for an Oklahoma-based corporation. Yeah. 
And that allowed me to continue to be involved in the community. So I was asked to be on the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum Board, uh, which I loved that museum. And I wanted to be on it because I really felt like I needed to pay it forward for my great-grandparents came here from Wales on the land run, ended up in Alva. And they really, they were one of the groups that had only their hopes and dreams in their pocket and their shirt on their back. They they were poor as church mice. They had made that decision. I wouldn't be here. And, And they made all those sacrifices and paid it forward. So I felt like I needed to pay that same um, spirit of of commitment and um, you know and dreaming big and aiming high to the next generation. So I joined that board, uh, started um, or suggested the Oklahoma National Medical Research Foundation, which is a fabulous organization in Oklahoma. Have a national advisory committee, which. I'm on that board and have always been involved in the Oklahoma City Memorial, National Memorial. I started the National Advisory Board for them and um, have been involved as I can with the Governor's Mansion, Friends of the Mansion, and then was asked to join the Hall of Fame, Oklahoma Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm a founding board member of Palomar, the Family Justice Center, because um, Oklahoma has a huge problem with domestic violence and child abuse, and um, and we need to fix that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I'm on the Christo Ray board, which is uh, a school. It's it's more or less a charter school mm-hmm. for uh, low income families uh, for high school, and it's a corporate work study program. And uh, we just had our first graduating class. 57 young people got into college. They, the whole class, senior class, all of them got scholarships. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, most of them um, going to college will be a first-generation experience. Many of them graduating from high school's first generation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so, I, you know, I do the arts and I do the social mm-hmm. um, and the education. And that's what ticks, makes me tick. I love it. And then we do have 11 grandchildren. Yeah. That keeps you busy now. <laughs> Very busy. Well, now they're my first love. Yeah. Other than Frank. Yeah. You have to say that because he's here, though. No. <laughs> well, no, I say it because, you know, we've been married yeah. 50 years. Yeah. And. Uh, Congratulations. It's it a big is, number. It's a big number. Yeah. It's awesome. And then back to a blind date, right? <laughs> back to a blind date. <laughs> I love that. Uh, finishing up, obviously, you know, you know, grandkids are a huge passion of yours and you've got a lot of time with to spend with them but when you do have that time on your own what was something you guys love to do that you know just you just might be reading might be watching tv and you know, what what do you what kind of takes your free time right now when you have it well i carpool <laughs> that too. soccer games basketball games yeah. you know all the sporting events but one-on-one time mm-hmm. i'm gonna surprise you it's pickleball I did see a pickleball court in the backyard. We, we've fallen in love with pickleball. We, I love it. COVID. Yeah. COVID. We put the pickleball court in um, before we moved in. We moved in, the I mean, like six months before COVID hit. Yeah. And we'd renovated the house, et cetera. You know, it's my creativity sure. side. Yeah. And Frank thought the house was move-inable. And I went, oh, just needs a few things. But... Anyway, so yeah. I could play I could play pickleball with the grandkids outside, yeah. and any of the kids who wanted to play, and uh, and I'm a, a I'm a decent pickleball player. Okay, keeps, highly keeps competitive with myself, but not with you know people I'm playing with. Yeah, wow, that's uh, and one that keeps you moving too. Right? And it keeps you, know, you moving. Uh, and like you said, it's it's great that you know it's 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 right out there where you got the family over yeah. and and. Because of thank you know because of COVID, thankfully you have a love of pickleball now and, and a great memories with the kids playing you know and they'll have those memories forever. And we could you know pickleball. we could grill hamburgers outside yeah. and so we never felt so isolated mm-hmm. as so many people did yeah, yeah. because we could have you know we had the out of doors right here. Amazing. 
Well, great. Well, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for sharing some great stories. Uh, I am not good at pickleball, so I'm not going to try and play you because I will lose. And knowing my unathletic abilities, I will probably roll my ankle like most people who seem to play pickleball. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to, to share some stories. Uh, congratulations on 50-year anniversary. Congratulations on being inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. Um, congratulations on inducting Paula into it, you know, introducing her, because I know that was a great night for all of you and a great, great time for your friendship. But, um, yeah, I wish you great, happy holidays for the rest of the year and have a great time with the grandkids. Thank you so much. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. And thank you for your time and for what you're doing of telling these great stories uh, for other people. Mine, mine excluded, of course. But, <laughs> no, uh, people love more. to learn about people. Yeah. No, well, I, I know, and, and there's plenty of people that will listen to this that know you, know that we've just scratched the surface on, on the things that you've done and the stories you have. So uh, I'm sure we'll get to those. Uh, and But if not, there's obviously a lot of resources out there. The Oklahoma Hall of Fame is, is the main one that you can go to and, and read and learn so much about the things that you've done. So And they do a great job of telling stories about the people of Oklahoma, and that's what make our, makes our state great. I totally agree. So for everyone listening, thank you so much, and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.